0: Welcome to the Mississippi Millennial Roundtable. We are back for a special edition episode. As of right now, I think we are probably about five days away um, from one of the biggest elections in our lifetime. Of course, all elections are important elections. But this presidential election, what's at stake for the nation and also here in the state of Mississippi is so important. And so I'm excited to invite one of my personal friends and mentors, um, just an amazing change agent from Mississippi, Representative Zakia Summers, for our Get Out to Vote episode. So many amazing gems. Um, I encourage listeners as you tune in. We have some information about absentee voting, some information about navigating the polls on November third, but also just a conversation about what it means um, to be from here, to dig deep and try to create change in your own way. So I'm excited to jump in with my conversation with Zakia Summers, and very excited from you all for you all to hear from someone who is really digging their heels in and trying to make change in their community in Mississippi. Um, and also doing it from the state house, a millennial doing it from the state house at that. So we're super excited about our March to the polls on November 3rd, whether you are voting absentee or whether you will be standing in line, social distancing at the polls, we are, we are preparing for what we think will be a record breaking election. So, Excited for you to hear this episode and please share with your family and friends. We want to thank our listeners who have been tuning in. This has been such a busy election cycle for us, Um, but thank you for tuning in. And of course, if you are listening before October 30th, on October 30th, we will be streaming live from Veterans Memorial Stadium, a concert with some amazing Mississippi artists, Dear Silas, Carvina, Dev Mac, D. Horton vitamin C. It's just going to be amazing Mississippi performance hosted by Rita Brett and Takeoff Kwan. So definitely tune into that. It'll be streaming live on Facebook um, on the Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable page. But with that said, without further ado, I'm going to hop right into my conversation with Representative Zakia Summers. Super excited today to welcome a personal friend, mentor, slash Mississippi Shiro, Zakia Summers, to the Millennial Roundtable Podcast. Um, this is such a full circle moment for me just because Zakia has been such a huge part of my journey as an advocate. But this is, we are recording right now with about less than a week left to election day yeah. and she is very much an election expert so I'm super excited to have Zakia on the podcast today um, to not only talk about this upcoming election but just sort of her experience um, and where we are in this moment right now as a state so welcome Zakia. Well, thank
1: you for having me, Aisha Carson. It is a pleasure to have a conversation with you on your roundtable, and I'm just so proud of you. I mean, you're doing such amazing work, and I mean, this is this is like totally you. Like this roundtable is something that I know you've been talking about. We've been thinking about. We tried to kick it off in our last. Um, job but so I'm just happy to see that you've taken the reins and you're just
0: you're just flourishing I'm just I'm so Book. excited you know me I'm striving I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get it done um but one of you know kind of we've always talked about since since I've been working in this space sort of how do we create a space where people can be informed, but they can also participate in this narrative change thing that we both know is so important to sort of changing the tide here in Mississippi. So I guess I would just start there. Now I can talk about all of the amazing things that you've done. Of course, I know you, we were working together at the American Civil Liberties Union on different public policy issues from criminal justice to voter work, but you've had a very rich career apart from that. Um, and of course you are representative, um, Zakiya Summers, which I'm very, very proud to say. Um, so you. if you could just tell the people a little bit about yourself, born and raised in West Jackson, I know you're going to lead with that,
1: but no, tell a
0: little bit about yourself, um, a millennial legislator who is born and raised, um, in Mississippi.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, um as you said, from West Jackson. Still live in West Jackson. Um, my family still lives in West Jackson. In fact, I live right around the corner from my parents. So I'm literally in the neighborhood that I grew up in, in the same community. Uh, I have three sons. They are all Jackson Public School students. I'm married to my wonderful husband, Andre. Um, I'm also a graduate and a product of Jackson Public Schools. I. Graduated from Jim Hill, the Jim Hill High School, um, where I was able to receive the the IB diploma as well. And uh, when I was a when I was a young girl, I always knew that I wanted to be a journalist. In fact, I thought I was going to take Katie Kirk's job, so that was like my objective, my life's goal. And so um, I ended up going to a journalism camp at Ole Miss, and. They brought us back to Jackson. We took a tour of Clarion-Ledger and I was asking the reporters, in fact, a reporter that's still there, Jimmy Gason, and he's a very good friend of mine. I said, you know, if you wanna go to um, a college that is known for journalism, where should you go? And so they pointed me to the University of Missouri Columbia or Mizzou for short. And that's where I went, got my degree in broadcast journalism, worked as a news producer for several years ended up in South Bend, Indiana and finally landed back home because I felt like um, I I needed to bring back my talents and skills uh, to my community in a way that would help to help my community. And so started working at WLBT, worked there for several years before I went to the Jackson Medical Mall Foundation um, which is really where I got my, my grounding, my footing, so to speak, in community outreach. Um, served there as a public relations manager, went on to One Voice, and learned a whole lot about policy advocacy. Um, and when I left there, I was appointed as an election commissioner for Hines County, and then was elected. And that's what I really got my experience in the way Elections work and just the overall importance of voting rights and then of course went to the ACLU where that work was um, even more so grounding and um, In the midst of working at the ACLU and serving as election commissioner decided to run for state representative, and And won, and very grateful to be in that position to, to serve my community and represent my district and um, continue to be a voting rights advocate and do all I can to help the community.
0: You were one of the very first people that I met post-college or well, post-grad school, that was a millennial, that was like so deeply committed to improving your community. I hadn't had met, like I knew people who were still in my hometown And, you know, I'm from Vicksburg, who was still in my hometown and who are millennials and sort of, you know, living and and having children and things like that, but never someone who was, as I'm from Jackson, I'm living in West Jackson, I'm buying a home here, I'm investing in the community, I'm being the person that I want to be. I think I definitely you know, wanted to be that, but there weren't a lot of examples of millennials who were, even though, of course, they were out there, who were really digging their heels in and sort of saying, I'm going to be the change that I want to see, as cliche as that sounds. So what do you think was your inspiration in in sort of taking that leap And, and, you know, even now being one of the youngest representatives in the House here in Mississippi?
1: Yeah. So, two things come to mind in terms of inspiration. Um, I was working at WLBT. At the time, I was a floating producer, which means that, you know, whichever show needed a producer, that was the show that I produced. And a lot of times that meant that I was producing the prime time shows, the five, six o'clock, or the 10 o'clock shows. And if you've ever worked in a newsroom before, then you typically have a news meeting that morning to determine what are going to be the top stories of the day, where should reporters go, what's happening that day, to kind of organize how you want the newscast to to look. And just about at every meeting, the top story was going to be about Um, another crime that happened in the city of Jackson that more than likely was either committed by a black person, particularly a young African-American male or the victim was such. And I did not want that to be the um, theme or the uh, story that was being told about not only my community and, and I, even though I'm from West Jackson, I love all of Jackson. So Jackson is my community. Um, so so that part, and then also, I didn't want that to be the story of my people. I thought that there were opportunities where we could share and tell the stories of positive depictions that were happening in the community, where people were not, um, you know, creating or accepting. This narrative of who Jackson is, what Jackson represents, what what Black people are doing, etc. And so I would raise my voice about this in all the news meetings, and so much so that the um, directors pretty much got tired of it and ended up moving me to the morning show. And if you if you work the morning show, then you're working from eleven at night to seven o'clock in the morning. There's no news meeting you're only recycling the news from before. So you really don't have a choice in terms of the direction of the news. Um, and at that time, I was I was okay with that because I was, you know, a year out of college, you know, just trying to make it, just trying to make some money, um, you know, was on my own in my own apartment, paying car note, you know, the whole deal. Of course. And so, you know, that that was one of two inspirations that, really, um, you know, kind of, uh, propelled me to want to think about what more can I do to help the community? And then the second thing was at the age of 24, I, um, became pregnant with my first child, Marvin. And at the same time that, um, I became pregnant with him, my father passed away in Houston. And my father was an attorney, Um, who was very outspoken um, and poetic even about Black people and about young Black men. And I knew that I didn't want my son to be brought up in a society where about um, I had not done all that I could to make it better for him. And so I wanted to, as you said, you know, the cliche is create the change that you want to see. But that was that was reality for me, because at at that time and, and now it wasn't just about me. I wasn't living for myself. I was also living for Marvin and I wanted him to, despite his environment or where he was going to be coming up to know that he could accomplish anything that he wanted to. He could do anything that he wanted to and still have love and respect for himself and for people who looked like him. So um, so that's kind of where it started.
0: I think you have s- such an interesting trajectory from journalists and you, know, you go all the way back to you really wanted to be a journalist and going to Mizzou how can you tell these stories about your community, um, being a person from that community, and all the way to now being a representative where you are using those stories to inform your decisions about um, how you decide on things for your constituents. So I think that's such an amazing trajectory, um, and it speaks to your commitment to trying to find the place where you can do the most good for the most people. So Absolutely. you have been working in and around elections for a very long time and we have a big one coming up. Yeah. So I will say that this feels different. I know a lot of times we've said that this feels different about um, a potential win that we might have coming up, especially in a political space in Mississippi. Yeah, um, every,
1: every election is the most important election of our lifetimes. But, like, this one, for real, it is. Like (laughs)
0: seriously, this one is the one. I will say that all of the things that have happened within this past year have really surfaced. All of the things that we have been working so hard over the past years to bring awareness to whether that be issues in education equity. We've always known that there were access issues in education. Now they're brought to the surface. We've always known the issues in healthcare. All of these different nuances, we've kind of always known this exists, but I think in this moment, people see that. Um, People see that more than ever. Um, So what are you seeing in the community as you work and as you organize and educate folks Um, about preparing for this election, what are you seeing in the community?
1: Well, I'm seeing a lot of people um, energized about participating in the election. I'm seeing a lot of momentum being built, uh, particularly around, you know, Mike Espy's race, um, uh, the the initiatives that we have on the ballot, the fact that we have the first African-American woman Um, on a on a presidential ticket as VP nominee. Um, So people are really excited. And I know that they're excited because I was just down at the circuit clerk's office today. And the line was out of the door. And this has been consistent ever since absentee voting started. And then in addition to that, people have been calling me, texting me, sending me Facebook messages, um, DM me, DM me, DMing me on Instagram, asking questions, like wanting to understand how the process looks, wanting to understand that they actually qualify for absentee, inviting me to do voting rights trainings and talks and all kinds of things. And so I have not felt this way about an election, Um, probably since the first time President Obama ran, which was in 08, and even during that time, I was, I was young, so I was, um, not really in the space of elections, but of course we know that, you know, living rooms and kitchen tables were, you know, just talking about the fact that we could actually elect a Black man. Um, So in, in that way, the energy is, is the same, but it's, I think it's even more so um, just on fire because people are tired, you know, people are tired and they don't like what has been happening in our country um, from, you know, the leadership in DC on down. And they realize now that they can take a vital step in in changing that and being a part of that change.
0: So this, and I will echo those same sentiments. You know, I haven't gotten this many questions about a ballot, about an election in a very long time, just personal questions from people who are wanting to make sure that they have crossed all their eyes, I mean, you know, cross all their T's and dotted their eyes. so I definitely um, echo that. I spent a lot of time talking to young voters and it seems that you know what happened this summer and the flag coming down has given them the opportunity to really reimagine Mississippi in a different way um, because things are starting to happen that we thought would never happen um, yeah. and so people sort of see um, like, wait a minute, think how how close to we, how close are we to change? Um, and, and I'm I'm hearing that a lot from younger voters. Um, but this pandemic has sort of equaled the playing field as far as voter experience. A lot of people, like none of us have ever voted in a pandemic, so to speak. Right. Um, so what are some of the, the 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 facts that you like to tell people about absentee voting? I know you said voting at the circuit clerk's office, which will conclude at, with this weekend, of course. Um, but right. what are some of the tips that you have for people who are wanting to submit their, their ballot absentee here in Mississippi?
1: The first thing that I start off with is make sure that you are a registered active voter, because if you are not registered, then of course you can't vote in the first place. And then if you're not an active voter, which most folks don't understand what what does being an active voter means, it means that you are actively participating in elections. So, for example, if the last time you voted was in 16 or prior to that and you have perhaps the circuit clerk has sent you a jury summons. But you decided I'm not serving jury duty, so I'm not even going to, I'm not going to even answer the summons. Well, then that gives election commissioners um, a trigger to mark you as inactive. And if you are inactive, that means that when you go to vote, especially if you're going to vote in person on election day, then you will have to vote affidavit because your name won't be on the poll book. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is to make your voting plan. So if you are sure that you're going to vote by absentee, if you know that for sure, which means that you are going to be absent from your precinct on election day, then you wanna go ahead and prepare yourself to work your plan. So know where the circuit clerk's office is, know what time they're gonna be open, what days they're gonna be open. Make sure you take your ID understand the clauses that they provide that will qualify you to vote by absentee is it because you're going to be out of town you're going to be working that day Um, I know this is the millennial um, roundtable so it's not it's not because you're 65 years or older but those (laughs) are some of the clauses that will qualify you to be able to vote by absentee and then the last thing is to familiarize yourself with the ballot Um, You know, we don't just have the presidential election on this ballot. We have a long ballot. It's front and back. It's on a long form. So we have federal elections um, um, with the president, congressional elections. We also have local elections. We forget that election commissioners run at the same time as the presidents do every election. And depending on where you live, you may have a school board election. You may even have a levy commissioner election. Um, And then, of course, you have those Supreme Court justice positions. And then on the back side, you have those initiatives. So you want to do your research, do your homework, make sure you know what you're voting for, who you're voting for, why you're voting for it, so that when you go, you already know how you're going to mark your ballot. Um, and then don't forget to sign that flap. Signing the flap is so important. It, and they're supposed to remind you if you don't, but you need to know to sign that flap because if you don't, then the ballot won't be counted.
0: So you mentioned a key race, one of the local races that is on the ballot um, here in Mississippi, and that's election commissioner, a position yeah. that you once held um uh, it's sort of a position that's overlooked from time to time but we're seeing right now in this pandemic that that position matters a lot um, it is
1: it, election commissioners people don't realize it it is the most important position in all of government why because the election commissioners are responsible f- for making sure that you have access to the ballot box and that your vote counts And so if we don't have voting as the cornerstone of that, then we don't have a democracy. So that's why election commissioners are so critical to this process.
0: For sure. So I know you, um, I know we both know of some trusted organizations that are, that have information out about candidates, about how to vote, about Um, if you're experiencing voter suppression, so what are some of the trusted organizations that you can point people towards who have those voter resources, even, um, voter day resources?
1: Yeah, well, certainly ACLU, you know, I've, I've lived that life. (laughs) So I know the resources are, are trusted and true. Mm -hmm. Um, one voice same. I've lived that life, one voice, Mississippi NAACP, they certainly have. Um, Great information. In fact, they have a whole toolkit of one pagers on all kinds of stuff. All the positions in person, absentee voting, mail in absentee voting, um, all of the referendums. So really great information. Um, Mississippi Black Women's Roundtable has some great information. I have to put a plug in for them. Uh, League of Women (laughs) Voters always has great information. SPLC. And these are all organizations that are nonprofit, nonpartisan organizations. So you can trust that they're not going to tell you how to vote or who to vote for or what to vote for, but they are going to provide you with that information that will help to inform you and help you to make the best decision on who you're going to vote for, what you're going to vote
0: for, and when you go to vote. Absolutely. I will echo those sentiments too. Um, and so I know we've talked a lot about the momentum, the excitement, the energy. I think a lot of folks have their hopes up and a lot of people are just kind of hoping for the best, but we would be remiss not to also talk about voter suppression. Oh, yeah. Especially here in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I would like for you to sort of explain the different types of voter suppression that people um, should be aware of. And also we'll talk a little bit about the election protection line and how folks can call and um, when they experience those things. But just from your perspective, what does voter suppression look like?
1: So when we talk about voter suppression, I think one thing that we have to be clear about in terms of really helping people to understand what voter suppression is, is to not use voter suppression. Okay. Because a lot of people don't, you know, when you have to go into explaining, well, this is what voter suppression is, then that means that folks probably don't get the the term voter suppression. And so we have to describe the voter suppression in a way in describing what do those barriers look like. So for example, voter ID is a form of voter suppression. Um, Why is it a form of voter suppression? Because there are certain communities, predominantly marginalized communities that may or may not have access to their ID. Or if they need access to their ID, they don't have the forms or um, the capabilities in order to be able to get and identification in order to be able to go and vote. Um, Long lines are a form of voter suppression. Um, Misinformation, disinformation. And we hear a lot of that from the top on down. Oh, you know, mail-in voting doesn't work or you should go and vote twice just to see what's gonna happen in the system. Or the the press conference that we heard um, last week where the feds talked about uh, foreign entities um, having some type of access into our system. With that being so close to election day, what that does is perpetuate distrust in the system. That's a form of voter suppression. Um, I had a, a a young man call me today and he said I tried to go and vote, but they said that I was no longer registered. Um, they said that I've been purged from the system. Well, voting uh, purging a voter because they have not um, participated in elections is a form of voter suppression. You know, you don't lose your firearms license just because you haven't shot your gun. So, <laughs> so why would you lose your right to vote? And it's a right, not a privilege. Why would you lose that just because um, you've been inactive? Um, you know, not having machines available for, the disabilities community is another form of voter suppression. Um, There's just, they're just so many, and we've, we've seen this time and time again. I think Mississippi is probably the villain of voter suppression, like the person that Superman or Batman is always out to get because, you know, it's almost like... Um, my favorite movie is Bay Bay's Kids. And one of the the lines is like, we don't die, we multiply. (laughs) And that's like, that's how I see voter suppression. You know, they, the powers that be and the powers that be are the individuals or the system that doesn't want to see marginalized communities exercise their right to vote because voting is where your social and your economic and your political power is. So they come up with all of these ideas and these tactics and these barriers um, to keep you from having access. And so the only way to really beat back voter suppression is voter turnout. Mm.
0: You have to
1: turn out the vote the more people that go and vote, you gotta, repeat that, Z. you gotta,
0: you gotta yeah. repeat that.
1: Cause yeah. I feel
0: like that is a very, very important point.
1: Yeah. So, so, well, I'm not going to say the only way, but the, the most effective way to beat back voter suppression is voter turnout. The more people that go and vote, the less of a suppressive tactic that they have to keep you from voting. Um, and then, of course, we have to continue to fight against voter suppression, and that means doing advocacy work, which we're familiar with, doing policy work, which we're, we're familiar with, and that takes time. I mean, we've been, oh my God, writing, oh my God, like legislative agendas forever forever. You've um, had
0: a full package with- <laughs> to modernize the voting process, yes. a full package
1: Yeah. from everything Toolkit. from
0: voter registration to no yes. voter ID.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, elevator pitches, talking points. We've written the policies themselves. We've spoken with policymakers and legislators. We've built coalitions. We've done all the things that the textbooks tell you to do when it comes to creating policy. And we unfortunately just don't have the um, appetite or or the atmosphere in the legislature to be able to see those changes actually happen. That doesn't mean that we quit and it doesn't mean that we let up. We have to continue, I'm gonna continue to introduce those pieces of legislation. Um, Even before we got out for COVID this past session, I dropped a bill for pre-election day voting. That was just for this election due to COVID. So we have to continue to do those things um, because our voices, our vote. Our voices, our vote and, and our voices need to be heard. Our voices matter, um, especially in a pandemic where we see that, you know, black people are, are being disproportionately impacted by everything that we've been impacted by forever but now even to a greater level and it's so present and so visible
0: so we just have to keep keep pushing at it one of the things that you said about voting being tied to our social economic and political power is such an important point especially here in mississippi And we've been sort of in this know your power campaign and really trying to mobilize and inspire young voters, especially first time voters around why voting is so powerful. So can you speak to that social, economic and political power that comes from voting and why it's so important for us to use that power within our community.
1: Sure, would love to. So. Let me just start with this statement. Representation matters. Representation matters. And when when you don't have individuals that are like-minded, that look like you, that come from you, the experience or the perspectives that you have, then All of that is ignored or not even considered. And as a result, we see that play out in policies that perpetuate institutional racism, systemic racism, all these isms that end up impacting people. And so when you're going to vote, when you decide, when you make the the conscientious intentional decision that you're going to vote you're saying that i care and i concern about i'm i care and i'm concerned about my social status my economic status and my political status when you are not voting then you're saying that i don't care about it i don't want to exercise my power i'll let somebody else make those decisions for me I like to put it like this, and and we hear this all the time, right? It's important to have a seat at the table. It's important to have a seat at the table. Sometimes you can't have a seat at the table and you have to create your own table and you create your own table by exercising your right to vote. But when you do have an opportunity to be at the table, you take full advantage of expressing yourself Elevating what you're concerned about so that you can show your power when you're not showing your power or you don't have that kind of access. Then you could be stuck in the lobby and never get a chance to get a seat at the table or you can be put on the menu and when you're put on the menu. You're ordered up to be cooked up and served and eaten. You're not something that's, that's gonna be appreciated or valued in a way that will help to stabilize you or help to take you to the next level. And so you can't miss up on a chance to not exercise that vote because something that we don't always acknowledge or recognize is that those who don't look like us or don't come from our communities or don't come from our experiences they understand how important that vote is, which is why they come up with ways to keep us from being able to exercise our vote or tell us that our vote doesn't matter or put in these processes that make it so hard for us to be able to vote because they want to contain the social, political and economic power for their community that helps to take them to the next level or stabilize their wealth or stabilize their position in in power. And when, when they're doing that, that means that they are destabilizing other people or creating a lack thereof of spaces of power. We know that this is important because after the 15th Amendment, when Black men gained the right to vote, so many black men registered to vote, and we were able to elect so many black men, even Mississippi being able to elect so many black representatives. And we saw how those pockets of wealth, those pockets of economic power and social power were growing in communities. You think about like what happened in Tulsa. how that was a community for, and made by, for us, by us, for Black people. And what did they do? They came and bombed it, like they took it away. Because they understand something that we sometimes fail to understand is that we are powerful people. And when we get it in our minds that we're gonna do something that helps to excel our community, there's nothing that we can't do. And so we have to be intentional about participating and not just voting, but supporting candidates because representation matters and also running for office, because representation matters.
0: So that was so much great stuff, but I want to, and I want to drive that point home. Because I I was reading a book that I know you've already read, of course, Local People by John Dittmer.
1: I have not read that book, actually. Really?
0: I have not. So there's a quote, and I'm going to read it, because what you said was so on point. And this is from Senator Bilbo, who was... Oh, Theodore Bilbo, yeah. Theodore Bilbo. Segregationist. Segregationist. And he's speaking to an audience in about, I think this is about 1944. Um, And he's speaking to an audience about his election. And he says, if you let a handful go to the polls in July, there will be two handfuls in 1947. And from there on, it will grow into a mighty surge. He warned that the white people of Mississippi are sleeping sleeping on a volcano and it is left up to us red blooded men to do something about it. But you know, you and I both know the best way to keep a nigga from voting. You do it the night before the election. I don't have to tell you what that means. So when you say that when you talk about the political, the social, the economic power that's tied to voting, it has been known for a long time that black people, if they use that power, what that would mean for equity and equality here in the state of Mississippi. So you're absolutely right. Senator Bilbo knew that and the political leadership in the state knew that and they did everything they could be it terror, be it policies, be it, like you said, suppression to make black people in this state think that they had no political power. Yeah. And so when I talk to folks about voting and I read local people and and all of those stories about what it took to even get to where we are. I have to tell people the disillusion that you feel is intentional, the disconnect that you feel with voting is intentional. It comes from years and years of losses that we've taken because the political structure is set up to where it is very hard for us to get wins. Um, But I love what you said about one of the most effective ways that we can push back is to show up. Whatever that means, whatever barriers we have to jump over for the time being is to show up anyway, because to do anything else. Is to give up your power is to concede it is to wave the white flag, Um, and so my message has really been like you were saying not coming from that negative perspective but coming from the perspective of, wait a minute, the reason why we feel this is a disillusion is because we can be powerful. right? Um, And really trying to figure out how we can own that collective power together as a community um, and push past the disillusion that has been in Mississippi for so long.
1: I mean, think think about it like this, Aisha. What if the folks back in the 40s and the 50s and 60s had waved the white flag and said, "You know what? This is just too much. I'm, I'm not." <laughs> I,
0: they I don't keep bombing my house. We get <laughs> yeah, crosses like, in the yard every weekend.
1: Everything and just the strength and resilience of, you know, our ancestors, our brothers and sisters of those days. You know, everything that they had to go through, like you said, from terror, from fear of if i register am i going to lose my job am i going to lose my house am i going to lose my life am i going to lose a family member just because i'm doing something that the other side knows is so substantial <laughs> and knows that if if i continue to do this then i'm helping my community you know i'm not just helping myself but i'm helping a race of people to claim what's theirs, what's rightfully theirs. Um, and so, you know, uh, uh, when, we, when we talk with millennials about voting, you know, a lot of times they're, they're like, well, I don't wanna hear the history <laughs> about, about voting, but it's so paramount because if you don't understand, and this is another cliche statement, if you don't understand, you know, from whence you came, how do you know where you're going? the 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 tactics that we see now are not new tactics. Mm-mm. They may be a little bit more refined,
0: sophisticated.
1: Yeah, they they may be like James Crow Esquire and not Jim Crow. <laughs> but it's Crow nonetheless, right? It's that Crow that Same lineage. Crow. <laughs> you know and so we have to understand what was taking place during those days so that we don't fall for the okie doke or we don't fall for the storyline that tells us that our voting our vote doesn't matter
0: senator bilbo himself said that the state of mississippi was sleeping on the volcano and the volcano he was referring to was the black vote
1: yep exactly that's exactly what he was referring to and he knew something then that many of us don't realize now. And, it's, and it's, it's, it can become disheartening having these conversations with folks in our community. Because it's like, if it wasn't so important, why would they do everything that they can to take it away from us? Or to, or to, keep, it, to keep it only in their hands and not allow it for you to have access to it. So you know it's got to be important. You know it's got to be important. So don't, don't, don't be asleep at the wheel. You know, take your hands on the wheel and drive it and go forward, move forward. You know, um, it's not enough to talk about. And and look, I'm an advocate. I'm an activist. I understand. Um, how marches and protests and rallies and all of those things can work. They can be a part of a strategy, but they are only a tactic.
0: Tools in the to, toolbox.
1: Yeah, they're only tools to a, in a toolbox that should be part of a greater goal. So if you're going to be rallying and protesting and all of that, great. Like, do that. And then what? Because after the protest and the rally, all it is, is a lot of, um, you may get a, a little news coverage and a lot of trash on the ground. But if it if it's not connected to a policy goal or it's not connected to something that's going to educate um, people so that they can harness their own advocacy towards changing something, then you're just out there just marching and protesting. <laughs> You know, it's 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 got to it's got to be something else to that. So so we can't just get up in arms about um, the tragic. Well, we should get up in arms about the tragic murders of black men at the hands of police. Like we should get up in arms. We should scream and protest and do all of those things. But if we are not impacting the system, that makes those things happen then we're we're just turning our wheels we're just turning our wheels so if we're not going to um commission meetings if we're not speaking up at city council meetings if we're not doing our research on the candidates that are going to hold these positions like for da and judges and supreme court justices and all those things and making sure that we exercise our right to vote and then hold them accountable to creating an environment that's going to be equitable and fair and just then we ain't doing nothing. <laughs> we ain't doing that. I'm sorry. And and that that might be a hard pill for folks to swallow because maybe all they know is all I know is to get out in the street and and, and hold a sign. And And we know that that came out of, you know, many movements of years ago and decades ago. And that's great. But also, while they were doing those marches, they were also getting in in church, um, in churches and meeting up at the Masonic Temple and meeting up in the basements of homes. And they were strategizing to create a greater goal. And you better believe that voting was all a part of that.
0: had to be. Had to be. So Zakia, you've taken this step, um, this step in leadership that I am hoping that millennials across the state who are still here and who are digging their heels in in their own way, whether they're working in newsrooms, whether they're journalists, whether they're, you've taken a step that a lot of millennials haven't taken one millennials from Mississippi in a sense that for a long time, the narrative was that we were all leaving. Yeah. And you taking a step in leadership and saying, I'm going to take ownership over this particular thing in my community and that's public policy and making sure that my constituents have the things that they need and I can represent them at the state level. So what would be your call to action for people in our generation? to really take ownership in their own way, the same way you have of trying to make Mississippi, um, there's some great things about the culture and the people here. So I'm not going to say trying to make things different, but trying to create change.
1: You don't don't necessarily have to follow my trajectory. Although if you want to run for office, do it. Like, do it. If that's something that you're interested in and, um, you know, you believe that you have a, a voice in the community, run for office. And it, and it doesn't have to be at the state level. It can be at the very micro, local level until you get enough experience or not and decide that you want to run for something greater. So do that. We need millennials to run for office. Uh, We need them in those positions to help bring those experiences to the table because the things that we are um, advocating for and the laws and the policies that we're passing are gonna have an impact on our future generations. And so who closer to know what our future generations need or desire than millennials. So we need you to do that. Um, outside of, of running for office, just get engaged, get involved. Um, I had a conversation with a group that, that wanted to know about my experience just as a, you know, my first year experience as a millennial legislator. And, you know, that he kind of asked me this, the similar question he was like well you know how do I just get started and I think you get started one by you know listening to podcasts like this one you know listening to other podcasts that you're interested in that talk about issues um, that you're concerned about Um, developing a knowledge base of what's happening in and around your community and then taking that knowledge or that curiosity even and getting involved in your local neighborhood association or you know, saying that you wanna be involved with what's happening in your school. So joining the PTA. And you don't have to join the PTA as a parent. <laughs> you can just join the P- PTA because you're a concerned citizen. Um, so there, there are myriad um, ways of, of getting involved and getting engaged. And the more that you get out there, because I I don't like to encourage somebody to run for office unless um, they've been doing the work. Like it's hard to to say that you want to represent a community and the community has no idea who you are. So the way, one of the ways to do that is to get involved on the local level. Maybe it's organizing, um, you know, cleanups on Saturdays. Or maybe it's um, helping the children in your neighborhood with maneuvering this this um, distance learning that we're going through, you know. Or maybe it's helping some of the the some of our seniors um, with accessing internet programs and Zoom because everything is like on Zoom now. We've been doing this this interview on Zoom. So it's doing things like that to make a small impact that will go grow into something greater that will help you um, getting, get into a space where you could create the change that you want to see. So it doesn't have to be political office all the time. But I will say that the reason why I ran was because I know that systemic change is rooted in policy change. So when we're talking about Making Mississippi better than I need to be. I felt like I needed to be in the arena. I needed to be in the game and the game is at the state capitol where policies are being made that affect systems. So that was the reason why I was like, okay. I've, I've been an election commissioner. I've been a part of the policy table in a advocacy role. But now it's time for me to be a player in the game. And so that's what compelled me to go in this direction.
0: Well, Zakiya, this has been like so, so much amazing information. And of course, we talk fairly often, but this has been just a great experience for me too. We don't often get to talk about things in the way that we do. It's mostly just like you know us trying to figure out how to navigate this space and like I said get the most good done for the most amount of people yeah so, thank you so much for this conversation thank and you. also to our listeners of course we will be linking the information all of the information that we talked about here for those voter resources um please put together a voter plan a voter plan this election is so 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 important. Because we are navigating the polls in a very crazy time. So it's not like just dropping by your precinct and voting like you usually do that you might usually do really take the time to take a look at the ballot um, and take a look at your voter options and which will be the best, most efficient and effective way for you to cash your ballot. So Zakia, are there any final words that you have for our Bollineo Roundtable listeners before we wrap the show? Final words,
1: um, always remember that, always remember that whatever it is that you want to do and it's coming from your heart, when you go out and do it know that you're not doing anything wrong that whatever it is that you're doing is what you're meant to be doing and know that at some point that's going to connect you to whatever it is that God has deemed for you to do so the point the point in that is just to go out and do it don't allow any of the naysayers to tell you that you're too young, you're inexperienced, um, you haven't gained the credibility yet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We hear, hear that all the time. You're not doing anything wrong. Go out there and just do it. And if you do it well, people will notice it and people will call on you um, to, to do even bigger and greater things. Also, final word, since we're talking about voting, voting is connected to everything in our life. Every single thing. <clears throat> when you talk about why my neighborhood looks the way it looks, why my schools are the way that they are, why um, why are folks coming into my community and opening up businesses and they don't look like me? Why is it that Um, you know, certain communities have greater access to healthier foods. All of that is connected to your vote. So don't give up your vote, uh, exercise your right to vote. And then of course, if I can ever be of a resource to you, hit me up on Twitter at Rep Z Summers on Instagram at Z Summers. On Facebook, Zakia Summers. I want to be accessible to you. Um, my gift is to be able to share my skills and my knowledge and my talents with you to help you become whoever it is that you want to be. So don't hesitate to connect with me. And thank you again, Aisha, for the opportunity. It's been no a problem. You have,
0: you have done exactly for me what you just mentioned in the ladder. So I greatly appreciate your just mentorship and your presence um, and your steadfastness in this work. So thank you again for joining us on the round table. Of course, I, I hopefully you'll definitely be back on, especially as we get into the legislative session and there are more issues for millennials to stay engaged about. So Looking thank you forward to it for sure. So thank you again for coming on to the millennial round table. And I don't even know happy election season. I don't, what do you even say? Good luck. Uh, see you at the polls. <laughs> see you at the polls. Okay. That's for a sure. good one.